Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We look at a verse that's really misunderstood a lot of circles. It's caused a great deal of confusion. Uh, we're doing the hard passages, and um, sometimes you look at a hard passage and it looks like it's more than faith for salvation, or sometimes it looks like it's work somehow or something you have to do or you could lose your salvation. We know this, that in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For our grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. So it's not of ourselves, and it's not of works. It's simply faith alone. Verses like John 3.16, whoever believes has eternal life. John 10.28, I give them eternal life. So sometimes we look at verses and they're just hard because you look at the flow and you go, what are they talking about? And then at other times you look at verses and it looks like maybe you have to do something for salvation or you could lose your salvation. What we're going to do is we're going to look at Acts uh, 2.38. At this morning, and then in the couple of weeks to come, we're going to be looking at Mark 16, 16, and John 3, 5. Mark 16, 16 deals with baptism as well. And John 3, 5, you may say, John 3, 5, Jesus says you must be born of the water and the Spirit. And many people say born of the water means you have to be baptized and then believe or something. So we'll we'll talk about all of those. But this morning is Acts 2.38. We've seen this one already. Uh, there's a lot in the verse, and we'll just see how we can, uh, a lot in the whole section, we'll put it together. Salvation is a gift. It's by faith alone and Christ alone plus nothing. There are some who believe that in order to be saved, you must be baptized. This is dealing with the ritual of water baptism. Now, we all know people who believe this. I've talked with people over the years, and they'll say, well, you can believe about Jesus all you want to, but if you don't get baptized, you don't make it to the church and get baptized, you're not saved. Or you lose your salvation, and you've got to get rebaptized again because baptism is a part of salvation. You may think that 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 we hear that, but I've, I've known groups that will actually say, you were saved when you were baptized as an infant. You know, there are groups that baptize babies, and many of those groups believe that we made them uh, either savable or saved by baptizing them as an infant. So there's a whole group of people out there that say, yeah, you have to be baptized to be saved, and if you're not baptized, you're not saved. The Acts 2, uh, and so so I want to raise the question, is, is baptism a part of salvation? Do you have to be baptized? And what part does baptism play? And Acts 2.38 says, Peter said to them, Repent, each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The idea of repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. How does that fit? What is he saying? How do we answer that when we say it's faith alone in Christ alone? Well, we've talked about this one in the past, so we, we should be okay. But I want to go over four things in this lesson. We're going to have an understanding of Scripture, talking about salvation by faith. Then we're going to have an understanding of the salvation message that baptism is not included in the salvation message. Then we want to look at the term repent in the context of Acts 2.38. And then we'll just understand the whole purpose of baptism, which most of us in this room, we know, we've been here a long time, We every time we do a baptism out front, we talk about what it's all about, but we'll look at that. So let's start with just to understand the scripture that salvation is simply by faith, that is not works, the Bible is very clear, that is not what we do at all, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it is not works, but a gift, it says, by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, so the Bible is really clear, that it's not what you do. In fact, that passage says, not of yourselves. Well, people say, well, you have to get yourself baptized. And then they'll say, oh, no, but you're not baptizing yourself. Somebody else is baptizing you, so it's not of yourself. And I say, that's ridiculous. 
Think about what you just said. I mean, and then Titus, not by works of righteousness he's done, but according to his mercy. That's grace in action. And then it's not work, but believe in Romans 4, 5, to him who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is credited as righteousness. So salvation is always by faith. It is not by works. It is not something that we do. <clears throat> salvation is by faith and not anything that we do. Got to remember that when you add a stipulation like you have to walk down an aisle. You have to make Jesus Lord of your life. You have to get baptized. You have to repent of your sins and turn away from all your... De- Anytime you do that, you're adding works to salvation and you're making something you have to do to be part of the salvation message. And let me just remind you, you are not the Savior. You ha- you don't have a part in salvation. Jesus Christ has done it all. And, and boy, it got dark really fast there. But can we bring it back up? Well, thank you. Okay. And so, uh, you're not, okay, let me say it again. You're not the Savior. That, that is true. We're not. And it's not anything that we do. And so, it's a gift. And so, the, the message of the Bible is the grace message. Now, here's the second big question. Understanding of salvation message. Baptism is not included. See, if you talk to somebody who believes baptism is necessary for salvation, they'd say, in order to be saved, the good news is you have to be baptized. Well, I want you to understand something. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. So there's the gospel. And if you remember, there's the gospel message, which is the death and resurrection of Christ. There's a response to the gospel message, which is to believe. And the offer is to believe in him for eternal life. Baptism is not in there. Are we sure? Well, if you go to 1 Corinthians 1.17, Paul says, For God did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He says the gospel and baptism are two different things. So remember, when someone from a church of Christ or someone says to you, you have to be baptized to be saved, just say, do you believe that the good news message is the message of salvation, Romans 1.16? And they say, well, yeah. Say, well, the gospel and baptism are two different things. They're not the same. And take them to 1 Corinthians 1.17. That really, that, that seems to help. Here's the third thing. And this is uh, to understand the term repent in the context of Acts chapter 2. Now, what will happen is you'll be with somebody and they will say, well, Acts chapter 2 says you must be re- repent and be baptized in order to be saved. And they give you that verse. And you should look at them and say, what's the context? Who's talking? What's going on? Isn't that what we do in every passage? You can't just pull a verse out. You have to look at the flow and the context of the passage. So let's think about Acts, and you're in Acts chapter 2, and let's understand what goes on. It says, repent, in Acts 2.38, repent, uh, and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's repent and be baptized. That's basically what he says. Repent means a change of mind. We need to look at the context. And by the way, I want you to understand, there's no place in the Scripture that says repent. Repent to gain eternal life, to gain salvation. It never says that. In fact, no place in the Bible that says you must repent of sin for eternal life salvation. Now, if you have an NLT, a New Living Translation, they take the Greek word metanel, which is a change of mind, and they translate it, repent of sin. They do it every time. That's why I tell people, do not get that translation. It is wrong. The Bible doesn't say repent of sin. It says repent. And for them to do that is is adding to the Scripture, which they do in a number of places, by the way. You should tell people not to buy the NLT, not to use the NLT. It's way off. By the way, the the number one selling Bible in the United States, you know what it is? It's the NIV. 
And the second best-selling one is the ESV. You know what the third-selling one is? The NLT. The one that is the worst. It's the third best-selling Bible in the United States. So, there's, it's terrible. So, there's no place that says repent of sin for eternal life salvation. There are some places dealing with believers. They're told to repent of wickedness or to deal with their sin. It's for believers. It's found in First and Second Corinthians where it talks about that. Also, notice this. In the book of Revelation, unbelievers are told to repent of their wickedness. But it has nothing to do with salvation. Not talking about salvation for them. And so when we look at the Bible, whenever you see the word repent, of course, I've talked to many, many people, and the first thing they say, well, repent means to turn from your sin. And so you have to turn from your sin. And I say, well, repent doesn't mean that at all. Repent means to change your mind. And you have to do is look at the context and see what you need to change your mind about. That's how it should flow. So let's talk about what's going on in Acts chapter 2. It's the day of Pentecost. If you remember, Jesus told the disciples, he said, I'm leaving. Uh and and uh, the, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, which Jews come from all over the world for a special feast, the Holy Spirit came down. The 120 believers were basically baptized by the Holy Spirit. And now they are filled with the Holy Spirit. It forms the church. Peter is taught. Everybody's speaking and people come together. And so Peter stands up to talk to a whole bunch of unbelieving Jewish people who've come together because they've heard these people talking in their own languages. And they're talking about the wonderful works of God, what God has done and what Jesus has done. So they've heard all this. They come together and they say, what is going on here? And some people make fun of them and they say, they're just drunk. And Peter stands up and says, we're not drunk. It's just nine o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk. But this is what Joel talked about, talking about a fulfillment of the Holy Spirit coming and empowering. And then he goes on to talk about what Jesus did. And so Peter is talking to the nation of Israel, and he gives the good news message of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. Uh, let me find the, the verse. Uh, uh, verse 22. He says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with what? Miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just, you know, you saw what he, what he did. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You, Jewish people, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men. You put him to death. You killed the Messiah. But God raised him up again putting an end to the agony of death since it's impossible for him to be held by his power. He tells them they killed the Messiah and God raised him from the dead showing he's the Messiah. Now you're Jewish and you're sitting out there and you actually go, I killed the Messiah. He really was the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. Some of them do that. And he goes on and describes what David wrote in one of the Psalms. And he talks about David in Psalm 16, talking about uh, that not abandoning his soul and God would raise him up. And so Peter says David was talking about Jesus Christ, that he's been raised from the dead. And then he says this in verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know... For certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, this Jesus whom you crucified. He says to them, you killed the Savior of the world. What are they going to do about it? What's going to happen? What would you do if you were there, maybe? What might happen? You might say, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. I, I killed the Messiah. Right? 
So look what happened. Look what they did when they heard that message. Verse 37, the response. See if I can get it to click. They were cut to the heart. Look what it says. When they heard this, they were pierced to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brother, notice they call them brother, brother, and what shall we do? I think out there a number of Jewish people believed in Jesus Christ as Messiah. Notice they believed the message. They believed Jesus was their Messiah. They were cut to the heart. It got them because Peter's going to say something next, and we're going to look at what he says. And that is verse 38. Notice, they said to Peter, what must we do? Now, if they not believed in Jesus, what would Peter tell them to do? Believe in Jesus. He doesn't tell them to believe in Jesus. In fact, look at this. What, what would Peter tell the Jews to do? Would he tell these Jews to be repent and be, repent and be baptized? Would Peter tell an unbeliever to deal with their sin and get baptized to be saved? Would he or not? No, he's talking, he realized they believed. And so he says to them, repent each one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you gotta realize he's talking to Jewish people who rejected the Messiah that's different than Gentile people. And he's talking to the nation that rejected the Messiah. Do you know what he says? We're not gonna be able to go to it today. At the end of the message, you know what he says? If you all of you will believe in the Messiah, Jesus will come back. That's exactly true. When the nation of Israel turns to God, that's going to be at the end of the end of the tribulation. What happens when the nation of Israel turns to God? Jesus comes back. They call upon the name of the Lord and Jesus comes back. Peter actually tells on the day of Pentecost, if you all believe, Jesus will come back. He says the time of refreshing will come. This is amazing. So he's offering to Israel the Messiah and the Savior. And when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the brother, well, what are we supposed to do then? What do we do? And what does he tell them to do? Repent. And each one of you be baptized. This is the, my New American Standard does this pretty well. It says, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So I want to show you something, okay? He says, repent and be baptized. And by the way, they don't go together. It's not like repent and baptize have to be together. I'll show you more in just a second. But here's what he's saying. Repent needs a change of mind. They need to change their mind to get into fellowship. Because see, they're coming as believers who crucified the Messiah. He says, you need to change your mind. You need fellowship. We'll talk about it. Because notice what he says. They need forgiveness. He says, repent each one of you in the, uh, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. See, repent has an idea of forgiveness. Baptism has an idea of identification. So he actually tells them, change their mind, deal with their sin so they can be in fellowship with God and then get baptized to show their identification. When do, when do we baptize people? Before they're saved or after they're saved? After they're saved. He, why do we, what do we say when they're getting baptized? We're saying, these people have already believed in Jesus and this is showing their identification with Christ. Peter's doing the same thing. He's telling these Jewish now believers that you need to deal with your sins so you can get into fellowship with God and have forgiveness. And then you need to be baptized so that you can show your identification with Christ. Now, I want to show you something that a lot of people will say, repent and be baptized, repent and be baptized. They don't go together. The repenting baptism doesn't go together. He actually says, you all, plural, repent 
And let each one of you, singular, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your all sins. In the Greek, you all repent for the forgiveness of your sins and let each one of you, different thing, be baptized in the name of Jesus. The repent for the forgiveness of sins deals with fellowship. Let each one of you, that's singular, be baptized, that's identification. So you got two different things going on. He tells every one of them as a group that they need to deal with their sins so they can have forgiveness. He then tells each one of them individually, each one of you needs to be baptized. They don't go together in the Greek language. And I've had many Church of Christ people say, you have to repent and be baptized. They go together. And I say, no, they don't go together. And even if you want them to go together, this passage is not talking about salvation. It's talking about what believers do. What do these Jewish believers do? And by the way, this wouldn't be the message to a Gentile. Gentiles weren't the 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 people of Israel who crucified the Messiah. They weren't the generation of Jews. That's why Paul will say over in a different place, he'll say, save yourself from this people. These people, that group of people that crucified the Messiah, the nation of Israel. What did they say when Pilate said, what has he done wrong? They said, if you don't crucify him, you're no friend of Caesar's. And he says, I wash my hands. And they said, his blood is on our hands. What Peter's saying is, you who crucified the Messiah, you've now believed you need to get forgiveness by dealing with your sin, confessing your sin, basically changing your mind about what you've done, and then get baptized to identify. It's a powerful message. So, repent goes with forgiveness, and baptism goes with identification. Does this make sense? I know it's hard. And people are going to come to you and they're going to say things like you have to repent and be baptized. But the bottom line is this. Are they unsaved or saved when Peter tells them to repent and be baptized? They're already saved. Peter would never tell an unbeliever to deal with sin and get baptized in order to be saved. We can't find that message anywhere else, right? So that it's, it's, it's a hard one. It's hard. Um, so let's understand, let's just quickly understand this, and we'll have a, a little bit of time for questions, okay, so you can throw those out in just a second. Uh, there's two kinds of baptism. There's real baptism, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which a believer is placed in the body of Christ. You understand that the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit identifies you by placing you in union with Jesus Christ and placing you in Christ and Christ in you. Okay, that's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know people, charismatics think it's something else, but it's not. That's the Bible. It's when we're placed in Christ. That's a real baptism. That happens the moment you believe. Then there is what we call ritual baptism, which is water baptism, which is symbolic. It's showing your testimony. It's showing that you have believed in Christ. You've identified in his death and resurrection. You've heard me say it many times. We'll get out there at the trough and I'll say, these believers, they have believed in Jesus Christ. They, they understand they trusted him and they died and rose again with him to a new life. So when we baptize them, it's symbolic dying and rising again to a new life. That's what we do. And that's that idea. Okay, so let me do this. Let's understand 
the salvation message. It's faith alone and Christ alone. It is not baptism. It, that's an act. That's a ritual. Second, let's understand the purpose of baptism. It is to show our identification in Christ. It's for believers. It's not to become a believer. And then let's know how Acts 2.38 fits together. First of all, the Jews believed... To cha- he said, change your mind, realize what they had done, and get into fellowship, receive forgiveness. See, it's a little bit strange, is that when we believe, the moment we believe, we're in fellowship with God. But this nation of Israel wasn't, because they crucified the Messiah. And so they had to have something different. That's why Peter says this. And it says, to change their mind, realize what they'd done, receive forgiveness. Second, then to be baptized, to be identified with Jesus. He's dealing with the nation of Israel. So, it, I mean, that's some powerful things. Um, I think that, I think that's it. Let me see if there's anything else. No, there's not. Okay, so let's let's open up for questions if you got any before you go to Grow Group. We got about two or three minutes. Any questions? Do you grasp it? Yeah. Okay. I'm coming closer. Okay. You can talk loud enough, but. I'll, t- I'll repeat it. What was the, uh, so what, what was the purpose for Jesus to go and get baptized? John That's a great question. He says, what was the purpose for Jesus to get baptized by John the Baptist? Let me say this before I answer that, that there are a lot of baptism in the Bible. There's a baptism of Moses, which they didn't get baptized with water. They were identified with Moses when the nation of Israel came out of Egypt. So baptism means identification. When Jesus came to John the Baptist, John was baptizing people. John's baptism was to identify with the coming Messiah. That's what they were doing. They were saying, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is here. John would say, I'm not even worthy to undo his shoes. You know, he's coming. When Jesus came, Jesus said, I want you to baptize me. And John said, no, that doesn't work. But Jesus said, to fulfill righteousness. And when Jesus was baptized, baptism always refers to what? Some kind of identification. Jesus identifying with mankind, fallen mankind, that he's coming as the man, the perfect man, who's going to identify with mankind and die and rise again. So I, that's the best we can understand. There's, there's, he doesn't really say this is what, but this is the best we can understand on why Jesus was baptized. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The Jewish believers have to deal with their sin again. Okay, that's a great question. Uh, do you ever deal with your sin? No, no. Do you have to deal with sin now in the Christian life? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what happened to them? They suddenly became believers, right? And what they have to do with their sin? Had to deal with it, didn't they? That's why he said, so that if, if, did Jesus deal with all sin? Let me, let's just start with that. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for the sins of the world, the whole world. So the payment, we never gonna worry about the payment. We're never gonna be separated from God. But sin has consequences. And what do we do as believers when we sin? We need to confess it. We need to deal with it. Now, he tells them to repent, which is the idea of change their mind because they're the nation of Israel that killed the Messiah. And that's why he stood up that day and said, he's the one that died and rose again. David said he would die and rise again. This is the right one. You killed the Messiah. And they said, what do we do? We, we, we did it. We believe in the Messiah. And he says, okay, now what you need to do is deal with your sin and get identified with Christ. So that that's the best I could, we can understand. That's a great question, though. What else? Any other any other questions? Any other thing? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Andrew. 
when when they were yes and 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 the the thing about it is we all say the moment that her question was they didn't get the holy spirit until they were what baptized well uh you, one of the weirdest things about this transition time period is that we say today the moment you believe what do you get holy spirit comes in you immediately in the first century it wasn't always that way do you remember when they went up and they and they talked to the Samaritans and they believed and a whole bunch of things were happening and they sent Peter up there and he laid his hands on them and they got the Holy Spirit. They were already believers. And then there was a time that Cornelius, he was a Gentile, Peter went over and saw him and the moment he believed all of a sudden, then they got the Holy Spirit. And so what you see is there's a transition. If you read in the book of Acts, Paul finds some guys in Ephesus that have been have been believers for 20 years. And he says, well, what was your identification? And they said, John the Baptist. And he went, John the Baptist? What about Jesus? And they go, we don't know anything about that. And they said, he said, well, wh- what, what was your baptism? And it was John. And he said, well, wait a minute. John talked about the one to come. The one to come is Jesus. And they believed that Jesus was the right one. They were already believers. And guess what they got right then? Holy Spirit. They hadn't had the Holy Spirit. In fact, he asked them about the Holy Spirit and they said, we don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. So in the transition of the book of Acts, book of Acts is weird because it's transition and it's not like to, by the time you get to the book of Romans, Paul writes it in, you know, late, you know, 58. He says, if anybody doesn't have the Holy Spirit, they're not one of, of God. But early you could say, have you got the Spirit yet? And so the, the Jewish believers on the day of Pentecost basically had to kind of get into fellowship before they could get the Holy Spirit. It's, I mean, it's just unique. And that, they're the unique ones. And that's why Acts 2.38 and Acts 2 is so hard because it's not a normal thing. It's not where, it's not even like Paul talking to the Gentiles, Cornelius and the others. He just tells them they need to believe in the Messiah who died and rose again. And they believe it and they're saved right then. For that Jewish group, it was not that way. It's just kind of a unique aspect. That's a great question. What else? Any other? We got got another minute or two. Any other questions? Do you have one, baby? Okay. okay. That is a great. That's a great question. She said, "On the day of Pentecost, did that start when the Holy Spirit would start living permanently inside believers?" And the answer is yes. Holy Spirit's always been there. Holy Spirit's always worked. The Holy Spirit's always convicted the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Holy Spirit's always doing that. The difference is in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not permanently indwell people. Remember when David wrote his psalm and he said, Oh, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. That didn't have anything to do with salvation. It had to do with power and service. Some people were spirit indwelled to do things God had for them to do. When you come to the church age, though... God does something unique, and he told them, he told the guys, he said, go, go and wait for me. He says, the Holy Spirit has been with you. He will be in you. That was in John. And, of course, on the day of Pentecost, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came down like tons of fire. And they all spoke in different languages. And from that point on, the Holy Spirit indwelled permanently in believers. So every one of us, when you believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit's in you. And and no matter what you sin or do things like God, David would say, oh, Lord, don't take the Holy Spirit away from me because I blew it so badly. We can't say that. He's never going to take the Holy Spirit away from us. We may blow it badly, but we don't have to worry because it's indwelled permanently in believers.